If you uh, have your Bible this morning and you'd like to share what I feel like the Lord has laid upon my heart, I'm going to ask you to turn to two different settings of Scripture. First, we're going to go to the book of Luke, and we're going to read beginning in Luke chapter 11 with the first verse, and then we are going to go with the corresponding Scriptures in the book of Matthew. But Luke chapter 11, verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was praying, and this is Jesus, as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, Teach us to pray. And he said unto them, he said, teach us to pray, even as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And now I would ask you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse number 9 through verse number 13. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9 through verse 13. And again, this is the same corresponding setting of Scripture. Matthew words it a little bit differently, and that's what I want you to see. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. And after this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or those that are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I'm going to stop right there this morning. Ask that you bow your heads and let us pray together once more for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and help in preaching the word. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity to be in the house of God. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity together in your name with the family of God and to feel your touch in our hearts and our lives. We come to the reading of your word. And Lord, I would pray that you would touch our hearts to hear and receive today. I pray that you would anoint me and give me liberty to be an effective mouthpiece for the word of God to flow through. Touch my mind, I ask, and I pray, Lord, that you would inspire my thoughts, that you would put your word in my mouth, and that you would allow it to come forth this morning with simplicity and with understanding and with the power and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father God, above all things, that you would touch our hearts here today and cause us to understand and receive revelation and cause us to grow. Let our hearts be edified and let Christ be glorified. And for all of these things, we will thank you and praise you for them, and we ask them in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus and everyone in agreement said amen. amen. So as you can see behind me on the slide, I want to title my message this morning, Teach Us to Pray. And today will be part one of a word that I feel like the Lord has laid upon my heart. Next week, we will continue with part two. But as I begin this morning, I'm going to title it, Teach Us to Pray. And as I begin this morning, 
I want to ask each one of us to consider a very straightforward and even a personal question. It is a straightforward question because it cuts quickly to the heart of the matter. And it is a personal question because you or myself are the only ones that can answer that question for ourselves. No one here this morning can answer that question for you, but only you have the answer to the question that I am about to ask. And that question is... Are you satisfied with your prayer life? Are you satisfied? Are you content in your prayer life? Let me phrase it another way. Are we achieving and obtaining the results that God's word promised when we pray? You don't have to answer that right away. But are we achieving or are we obtaining the results that God's word promised when we pray? And before you answer that question, let me just remind you of some of the things that God's word has promised concerning our prayers. This is Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse number 3. This is what God says. He said, you call unto me and I will answer you. Not maybe I will answer you, not I'll think about answering you, I'll consider answering you, but I will answer. Call unto me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Well, are you successfully calling and continually, reoccurringly hearing him answer? Psalms chapter 50 and verse number 15, this is what God's word says. God said, you call upon me in your day of trouble and I will deliver you and thou shalt glorify me. Whenever you are in trouble and you ever have a need, you call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things. I'll I'll deliver you and you'll glorify me. Isaiah 58 and 9, the Bible says, Then shalt thou call and the Lord shall answer. You You shall cry and he shall say, Here am I. Do you see a pattern developing here? When, when, when we talk about, amen, a successful prayer life, the pattern is we call and God answers. We call and God gives us the answer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7, Ask, and it shall be, it shall be given unto you. Seek. And you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and everyone that seeks finds, and everyone that knocks, it'll be opened unto them. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse number 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father and get this, and whatever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if that wasn't good enough, in verse 14, he said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. These are some pretty awesome promises. John 15 and 17, Jesus said, Abide in me and my words abide in you, and you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Matthew 21, 22, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. 
Mark eleven twenty two. he said, Have faith in God. For verily, verily, I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that the things that he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And then he said, therefore I say unto you that whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. All of these promises are powerful. They are absolute. Ask, receive, seek, find, Knock, open, believe, receive, ask. I will do it. Believe ye, amen, you receive them and you shall have them. And on and on, ask in my name and I will do it. I believe that we could all agree this morning that those are not only some pretty awesome promises, but that each one of those verses make it absolutely clear that God desires to answer our prayers. Can you say amen? amen. But I come back to that straightforward and personal question that I started with. Are we achieving and obtaining the results that God promised when we pray. Are you asking and receiving? Are you seeking and always finding? Are you knocking and are, are you always finding open doors? Are your prayers being routinely answered? Are we achieving and receiving the results and the fruit of a successful prayer life? Can I get real with you this morning? If we are completely honest with ourselves, I submit that there are times when we, when we pray and we do not receive the results that we are anticipating. We ask and seemingly sometimes come up empty-handed. Hello? We seek, and instead of finding the answer, we stumble in obscurity. We knock, and we find that the closed doors are still closed. Uh, or am I the only one this morning that has ever experienced such a thing in their life? Hello? No, if we're honest, you've been there too. I said, can I get real with you this morning? If we're entirely transparent with ourselves, I submit that there are times that we in our spirit become frustrated and disappointed with prayer because we ask and, and we never see the expected change. And yet God's word said, ask and you'll receive. Knock and it'll be open. Seek and you'll find. In my name, I'll do it. That's what he said. But somehow our prayer life doesn't always match up with the promise. I know, I know none of you folks ever felt that way. I'm just telling you from my personal experience about some of the places I have been. <clears throat> if we're honest with ourselves, there are times that it doesn't seem to work like it ought to work. I know that the Bible tells us that we should pray and there's no uncertainty about whether we should pray or not. There's no indecision on our part or no hesitation on our part about praying. We know that Jesus said in Matthew 21 and 13, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We know that Jesus said in Luke 18 that men ought always to pray and faint not. We know that 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 says pray without ceasing. We know that Ephesians 6 6.18 tells us to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So there's no doubt about the fact that we are to pray and there's no conflict in the fact that God desires to answer our prayers. And yet, 
If we are honest with ourselves, there are times that our prayer life becomes frustrating. It becomes unfruitful and unsuccessful, and we pray and we do not receive. And we often wonder why. I believe the Lord's Prayer has some answers for us. There is no doubt that we are instructed to pray. There is no doubt that we are promised an answer when we pray. And, and as God began to lay this word upon my heart, I believe that the Holy Spirit would have us to consider this morning, are we praying as we ought to, and are we getting the results that we are promised, or have we become frustrated and unfruitful in our prayer life, and therefore we have just stopped praying? Hello? Maybe some of you are here in that position this morning. What I feel like the Holy Spirit has laid upon my heart for this Sunday and next Sunday is some really, really good advice from an expert prayer. I mean, Jesus was top-notch when it comes to praying. I think we could all agree that Jesus had a fair amount of success whenever he prayed, right? So let me just tell you this morning, if we are about to hear some instruction from Jesus about how we ought to pray, then I believe that the, uh, the things that he said deserves our full and undivided attention. Because when Jesus prayed, blind men received their sight. When Jesus prayed, deaf ears were unstopped. When Jesus prayed, lame men leaped to their feet and began to walk. When Jesus prayed, water got turned into wine. When Jesus prayed, those who had been dead got up out of the grave and came forth at his command. When Jesus prayed, thousands were fed with five loaves and two fish. And there were 12 baskets full when they got through taking up the remnants. I said, when Jesus prayed, some stuff happened. How many of you here this morning would like to have some stuff happen when you pray? Mm. Amen. I think that if Jesus is about to teach us how we should pray, then we need to give him our undivided attention. Look, looking at the Lord's Prayer, it's one of the most remarkable things to me. And I'm not, I'm not with my, I got five points that I want to share with you over the next couple of Sundays. And this is not one of my points, but one of the things that seems remarkable to me and stands out to me is that his prayer was incredibly brief. I mean, it wasn't a lengthy prayer. It was incredibly brief, and yet it was very, very insightful. What does that tell you, Pastor Gary? It means, it tells me that prayer doesn't have to be long to be effective. Hello? Understand that when we look at the Lord's Prayer when we look at the Lord's Prayer, it is, he is not teaching us a prayer that we should necessarily pray word for word, but rather he is giving us a model or an example for which we should follow. So he gives us some principles and he lays out some principles. And what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, it's very brief and yet it is very insightful. It took about 30 seconds for him to say what he said. But it is just miles long and rich in things that we can learn from it. Brevity in prayer. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because of their long, lengthy prayers in public. He said, you hypocrites, you say your prayers in public and make them long and lengthy so everyone can know that you are spiritual. 
Let me just share with you this morning that prayer can be very brief and very effective as long as it is, as it is prayed in sincerity and in simplicity. I remember when my children were very, very small, my wife and I were just a young married couple, three little bitty babies, younger than Shelby's little ones. I think our middle child was about two and a half or three years old. My little Cody bear. <laughs> I remember it was a midweek service, a Wednesday night. We had gone to church. I was studying for the ministry and preparing for ministry. We sat in the back. We sat in the back seat, and, and a dear, dear friend, a dear mother in the Lord, Mary Ford, Debbie's mother, came in on that Wednesday evening service, and she came by to greet us. And I said, Sister Ford, how are you tonight? She said, well, if I'm being honest, my eyes have been hurting all day. And I said to her, I said, well, I will pray for you. And Cody was small enough that he was literally standing in the pew. He wasn't standing beside the pew. He was just standing in the pew. And Cody said to Mary Ford, I'll pray for you. And Sister Ford just leaned over and she said, all right, Cody. And this is what he said. He laid his hand on her and he said, Jesus, amen. <laughs> and we all, isn't that precious? And Mary Ford went on up and took her seat. And the service started and she kept turning around looking at me like I need to tell you something. And after the service was over, she made a beeline right, to, right toward me and she said, hey, I got to tell you something. I said, what? She said, I was sitting up there and she said, I got to notice and my eyes weren't hurting anymore. God answered that little boy's prayer. Just simply, Jesus, amen. Let me just share something with you this morning. You don't have to be a theologian to pray. You don't have to use big churchy words in order to get your point across to God. You just got to speak with simplicity and sincerity and God will hear your prayer. Amen. It is not about length and it is not about big flowery words or vocabulary, but it is about simplicity and about sincerity. And when you pray in sincerity, God will hear the cry of your heart. So the disciples come to Jesus and they said, Master, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, even as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And what he gave them was a simple prayer that was straightforward and to the point with five different priorities that I feel like we should keep in mind. Because if we have come to the place where we are feeling frustrated about our prayer life and feeling unsuccessful or unfruitful, I believe that if we will begin to apply these five simple little principles uh, that Jesus taught us uh, in this word, uh, I believe that we will begin to see some things happening in our own life and, and some things happening in our prayer life that will bring some encouragement to our hearts. Uh, so I will share two of them with you this morning, and I will share three of them with you next week. I have five, unless next week the Lord speaks to me and I get another one. The first principle that I see in the Lord's Prayer, the first principle of the prayer that Jesus taught him, the first thing that stands out to me is that the prayer was centered around the Father. Hello? The prayer was centered around the Father. Jesus said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father, 
which art in heaven. When I read that this past week, I thought, isn't it interesting that most of the time when we come to God in prayer, most of the time when we come to the Lord and we are calling upon the name of the Lord, there's a lot of I and me and we and my involved. Hello? Lord, I need. Lord, I want. Lord, I desire. Heavenly Father, I need. Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do about this situation. What I'm saying is that we too often come to him in prayer and the emphasis is on I, me, and my. Instead of making the Father, amen, the center of our attention and the focus of our heart. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he starts out by making them understand that he is the Father. And he starts out by making the Father the center of the focus. Note, if you will, how many times that Jesus refers to your, the word your, in those first few sentences. In those first few sentences, Jesus says, your, your name, our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. In the first three or the first two sentences, he uses the word your three times, your kingdom, your will, your holiness. What I'm saying this morning is that when we come to the Lord, instead of making it about us and about our need and about our situation and our desire, why don't we come to him and make him the focus of our desire? Mm. The first thing that he taught them was to take the focus off of themselves. Prayer is not about I. Prayer is not about me. Prayer is not about my. Prayer is not about we, but prayer is about his will, his kingdom, and his holiness. And successful prayer starts with the understanding that it is not about us, but it is about an eternal relationship with God, our heavenly Father. I can't help but wonder if our prayer life would not be a little more successful, if we took the focus off of ourselves and put it upon him. I can't help but wonder if our prayer life wouldn't be more fruitful if we would stop making prayer about us and make it more about him. I wonder this morning uh, if we would stop seeking the hand of God uh, and start seeking the face of God if we wouldn't have a little more success in our prayer life. What do you mean, Pastor Gary? Seeking the hand of God and seeking the face of God. What I mean by that is when we seek the hand of God, we are seeking God's provision and what he can do for us. And many times that is the focus of our prayer. We are focused about his hand. We are focused about his provision. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible said to seek the Lord seek his face while it may be found and when we seek the face of God we are seeking him and his attributes and not his provision do you understand what I'm saying the Bible says seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you our problem is, is often when we go to the Lord in prayer, we're seeking things uh, instead of seeking Him. If you seek Him, you'll find things. If you seek the attributes of God, you're going to come head on with the, with the provision of God. Amen. When we come to the Lord, take the I and the me and the we out of it. Jesus said, it's not about you, it's about the Father. The thing that this stands out in my mind, first of all, is he made the Father the focus of his attention. He says, our Father, 
who art in heaven. Our Father, 70 different times in the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as our Father. As he is teaching this prayer, he is teaching the disciples to address God as Father. The term Father indicates a childlike trust in someone who deeply cares for us. Our part is to seek him as a child and as a child would seek out their father. And a loving father in return will always have amen, a heart for his children. He is reminding them that when we become born again, we are brought into the family of God and we are brought into a divine relationship with God as our heavenly father. Some people may think that all people are God's children. How many of you have ever heard that? We are all God's children. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. Can you give me verse and chapter for that? I can. John chapter 1, verse number 12. This is what it says. But as many as received him, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. What is that saying? It means that if you have received Jesus Christ and you have believed upon the name of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, then God gave you power to become his son or his daughter. And if you have not received and you have not believed, you are not his child. According to the Bible, you are dead in your trespasses and your sin. That's Bible. But when we are born again, we are adopted into the family of God. Jesus becomes our Savior. The church becomes our family. Brothers and sisters become our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God becomes our Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15 says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba in the Greek means daddy. It means papa. When my children call me papa, when my grandchildren call me papa, when my beautiful daughters call me papa, it melts my heart. It is a term of endearment. It is a term of appreciation. It is a term of admiration and respect. And it is a term of esteem. Beloved, God desires for us to embrace him as our papa. If you are hurting, you don't have to hurt alone. If you are in need, you don't have to be in need alone. If you are, amen, in a situation that you don't have the answer for, you don't have to be in that situation alone. God, your Father, is your Papa. And if you call upon the name of the Lord, He'll touch your heart and your life. Mm. He says to them, God is our Father. He is to be reverenced. He is to be respected. In verse 2, he continues, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means holy, sacred, revered, respected. His name is to be revered. His name is to be respected. He is holy and he is sacred. His nature is that of a father, but his name is holy. 
Listen to me very carefully for a minute. He is not the big guy in the sky. He's not the man upstairs. Hello? His name is holy. He is to be reverenced. He is to be respected. He is to be revered and honored and esteemed. Isaiah tells us of a time when he got a glimpse of God in the heavenlies. You'll read about it in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, the Bible said, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. What does that mean, his train filled the temple? In the Eastern custom, they wore, if you were royalty, they would wear a long flowing veil or a train off of the back of their robe, much like a bride does in her wedding, a long train. And in their custom, the longer the train or the longer the veil, the more revered you were to be. Isaiah said, when I saw the Lord, he was so high and he was so holy and he was so mighty and he was so full of majesty that his train, it filled the entire temple where he sat. And he said, I heard the seraphim the seraphims talking to each other. They had six wings and with two they covered their eyes and with two they flew and with two they, amen, they did fly, he says. And then he says, uh, amen, and they cried one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah said while they were crying holy that the smoke filled the temple where they were and the posts of the doors shook upon the temple. What I came to tell you is yes, he is our father, but he he is hallowed and he is holy and he is to be reverenced and he is to be esteemed highly. Ooh. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And what it tells me about him and about my relationship with him is that if I am his son, then I should be carrying his spiritual DNA in my life. And if he is holy, then I need to live holy. Hello? Oh, this is not popular. <laughs> he is holy, holy, holy. And my children have my DNA in them. They are a part of me. They have my characteristics they have my DNA in them. If I'm a part of the family of God, his spiritual DNA needs to live in us. He requires that we live a holy life. What does holy mean? It means separated. Separated. Separated for his service. Brought out from among the things of the world. The truth is that if God is our Father, then we need to become more like Him. If we are His child, we should carry His DNA within us, and we should live a life of holiness. And if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Bible says that God will not hear your prayer. Hello? Jesus said of some of the Pharisees, he said of them, he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Maybe, maybe our prayer life is not as successful as it could be because we are harboring some things in our life that we need to let go of. Hello? If he is holy, then we need to live a holy life. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 14 says, Because you are children who obey God, do not live the kind of life that you once lived. Once you live to satisfy your desires, because you didn't know any better. I'm reading the God's Word translation. 
But now, because the God who called you is holy, you must be holy in every aspect of your life. Let me give you the King James. Be ye holy even as I am holy. He expects for us to be holy, set apart, living a life of obedience unto him. I, I'm, the clock is getting away from me. The first principle of the prayer that he taught them is that our prayer needs to be focused and centered upon the Holy Father. If we desire to be more successful in prayer, then start by making God the focus instead of self. As we pray, we should always remember that we are approaching a holy God and come before him humbly and reverently. Paul said in the book of Philippians, with fear and trembling. That fear doesn't mean to be afraid. It means reverence. With fear, with reverence and trembling, we humbly come before a holy and mighty God that could have thumbtacked us to the wall and yet had mercy upon us. Number two, the second principle of the prayer that Jesus taught them to pray was to, was to pray about the kingdom. The second principle of the prayer that he taught them was a, it is a kingdom-centered prayer. Jesus says in that second verse, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. The principle is this, that when we pray the kingdom come, when we pray, thy will be done, we are saying, Father, I want and Father, I need you to take control of my life. I need you to take control of my life. I need you to take control of my spirit. I need you to be in control of every area of my life. I have found out that when Gary is in control, I can make a mess in a hurry. Hello? Some of you found that out too. But I've also learned that if I pray, Lord, you take control. You have your will. I know what I think, but I, what I think may not line up with what you think. Your ways are higher than my way. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. If I'll just surrender to your will, your kingdom come, your will be done. Hmm. Here is a very powerful truth that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. This past week as I studied for this message, I, I, the Lord had never said this in this fashion to me. It was a new revelation to me. I'm, I'm studying thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said these words, and I wrote it down. I'm going to read it word for word. Prayer has never been about asking God to do our will. But prayer is about asking God to conform us to His will. See, when we go to prayer, we often have this attitude that if I can just get God to see it my way, if I could just twist His arm a little bit, He'll answer my prayer. Prayer has never been about God doing our will. Prayer is about asking God to help us to be submitted to His will. When we pray, we need to come with that attitude. As I said a moment ago, I come to the Lord sometimes and I think I have a really good, amen, a really good uh, uh, resolution for the problem. 
And I'm trying to convince God why it's a good resolution to the problem. And he's like, no, I'm not going to handle it that way. I'm not going to handle it that way. This is what I want. But God, hello? Some of y'all been there too, huh? Prayer is about bringing myself into agreement with him. Not getting him in agreement with me, but getting me in agreement with him. Meaning, just like Jesus, when Jesus came, the Bible says, and you will read it, the Bible said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And then verse 9, or verse 8 says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled him himself and he became obedient unto death even the death of the cross and because he was obedient God exalted him but Christ made himself subject to the will of God that's what we need to do this morning we need to be coming before him in prayer and saying Lord Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I don't have the answer, but I know you see the problem. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we stop trying to set up our own kingdom. We stop trying, uh, amen, to assert uh, our own kingdom. We start try, uh, stop trying to assert uh, our own will. And what God is looking for is someone who will just simply be willing to submit to his will. Mm. How many of you here this morning have ever tried to set up your own little kingdom? (laughs) Hello? I have. I was going to be an entertainer. God didn't see it my way. When I came to the Lord, he said, no, that ain't how it's going to work out. (laughs) I'm going to call you to preach. I went, you got the wrong guy. He goes, nope, I got the right guy, and you're going to do it. And when I finally submitted to his will, listen, what I'm saying this morning is that Jesus is teaching us that if we desire to have a successful prayer life, then rather than praying our will, pray, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life. Your will be done in my spirit. You know what I struggle with. You know what I struggle about. You know the situations and the battles and and the fight that I'm facing. You know the things that I need. You already know all of those things. What I need is you and your ability to submit to your will. I can't help but wonder this morning if our prayer life wouldn't be more successful if we would stop trying to bring God around to our way of thinking and simply yield to his will. Instead of praying our will be done and trying to twist God's arm and bringing him around to seeing it our way, why don't we just learn how to surrender to his will? So principle number one, I'm going to try and close here real quick. Principle number one, the first principle that he taught them was that a prayer needs to be centered around the Father. Not I, not me, not we, not my, but our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. The second principle that he taught them was to make our prayer kingdom-centered. Stop trying to get God to do it your way. 
Now, now, don't misunderstand me. Yes, there are certain things that we can pray about because we know those things are God's will. Right? The Bible said that I would that you be in health and amen and prosper even as your soul prospers. We know it's God's will to heal. He said by your stripe or by his stripe we are healed. We know that it's God's will to meet uh, all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We can pray his will in all of those things. Knowing that they're his will. But when we come to a place of uncertainty, the best thing and the most, the most important thing that we can do to bring success to our prayer life and receive the answers as he promised is to pray his will and not our will. Let me read it to you one more time, just verse 2. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next week, I want to share with you three more. I encourage you, read over these texts this coming week. See what the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. But I encourage you next week, come and let me share with you what the Holy Ghost has put upon my heart with these next three principles. I want my prayer life to be more successful. I want my prayer life to be more fruitful. And I want to learn from the very best. And if Jesus taught us how to pray, then we need to dig into it and study it and ingest it and get it into our spirit. Bow your heads, please. Bow your heads, please, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the mighty and glorious name of your Son, Jesus, I thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that I sensed as we have ministered your word. Lord, if, if the enemy has blinded our sight, to the fact that you are our heavenly father. If the enemy has blinded our sight and made our prayer, our prayer life more about I, me, and we, and my, instead of the father, help us to understand that to be successful in prayer, our prayer needs to be centered around God, our father. This morning, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that prayer is not about trying to coerce you to do our will, but prayer is about learning to submit to your will. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would embed this word, this teaching, this preaching, this seed that we have endeavored to sow. I pray that you would embed it deeply within our spirit. Help us to contemplate it. Grow from it. Extract nutrient from it. And be blessed. I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Stand to your feet all over the building. I'm gonna...